Thank you, John, for reading the Lord's Word this morning, and I hope that uh, you are following along as he read it. I hope you've got your Bibles open, or if you get your Scripture on your phone these days or whatever it is, well, I hope you've got it in front of you as we work our way through uh, this passage of Scripture now this morning. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, uh, once again, we're here in your presence. And Lord, uh, as we've gathered here corporately in your presence, we acknowledge that we're in your presence always, each and every day. Uh, You are with us. And yet we're here now uh, on this Sunday morning, once again, to hear your word. And we acknowledge this to be your word, Lord. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. Your word has the power, the ability to uh, prick our hearts and to make us different if we will open ourselves up to you. And so, Lord, I'm asking now that uh, I would do that as I speak and that each person listening uh, would do that as well. Please have your will and your way in our hearts and lives today. We give you this time now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, my son Christopher um, went his first year of college to a place in Galveston, Texas. And I'm also from uh, the state of Nebraska, as you know. And people in Nebraska are called Cornhuskers. And so maybe that's why I remember this story. Uh, It's a story of the Galveston County Fair Rodeo and a steer named Husker. And this steer named Husker weighed in at 1,190 pounds and won the blue ribbon at this county fair in, uh, in Galveston, I'm assuming, Texas. He was the grand champion that particular year, and he sold at the auction for $13,500. Now, just think of that, 1,190 pounds, and he garnered $13,500, and a few days later, he was slaughtered. Now, when he was slaughtered, it was interesting. The veterinarians examined the carcass, and they discovered something that seemed unusual, And as they explored the carcass, they saw evidence of what they called airing. Have you ever heard of that? Airing in a steer? I guess they do that in Nebraska or down in Galveston. What they do is they put a hose attached to a bicycle pump, and they put a syringe on the end of that hose, and they pump air into the steer's carcass in order to make it look better. And that's what they had done with Husker. And so Husker, this blue ribbon steer, was actually not a blue ribbon steer. He was made to look better and to weigh more than he actually weighed, and he didn't look as as good as he actually appeared to look. And that pumped-up steer in this story is like a hypocritical person. Husker looked good on the outside, but Husker wasn't really what Husker presented himself to be. That's the definition of a hypocrite. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about this morning as we get into this passage of Scripture. He identifies three very common religious 
practices that all people were practicing during the first century A.D., whether you were a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or an Essene, regardless of what religious sect you were a part of, all religious people participated in these three religious practices that Jesus is going to identify and talk about now in this passage of Scripture this morning. And they're given here for you in your notes if you picked them up coming in today. The giving of alms to the needy, verses 2 through 4. Prayer to God in verses 5 through 8. And then fasting, this discipline of fasting, which we don't hear very much today in 21st century America, but it is a spiritual discipline or practice, this act of piety, which was called fasting before God. Now, what's interesting to me is that Jesus does not condemn any of these religious practices. In fact, he says in verse 2, when you give to the needy. Look at verse 5. He says, when you pray. Look at verse 16. He says, when you fast. Jesus assumes that these are good religious practices to be participating in. He doesn't condemn them. He assumes that we will do them. He doesn't say, if you give to the needy, or maybe when you pray. He says, when you pray. He's recommending that we participate in these things. He assumes that his followers will be doing these things. And so let me ask you three very important questions as we get started in this passage of Scripture. Are you praying? Do you pray regularly? Are you giving generously? And I'm not just asking that question because we want more money in the offering plate on Sunday mornings. Giving is good for your soul. One of the reasons that Jesus prescribes this is because he knows that we'll be better off when we are a a generous giving people. So are you giving? Are you praying? And here's the tough one. Are you fasting periodically? Do you ever fast? Jesus is recommending these practices, but he wasn't recommending the way the Pharisees and the Sadducees went about it. You see, it's not just important what we do. It's also important why we do it. And it's also important the way we go about doing it. And that's the ax that Jesus had to grind with the religious leaders in his day. It wasn't what they were doing. It's why they were doing it and the way that they were going about it that Jesus took issue with. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say as we work our way through this section of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just the outside, our right actions, but the inside, right motivations that Jesus cares a lot about. What the choir just sang for us, God sees the heart. God is interested in what's going on inside of us, not just what people see on the outside of us. So, right reasons or right purposes. Look at verses 2 through 8 again. And I think it's important to remember as we get started here looking at these verses of Scripture this morning that these spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about today, these acts of piety, praying and fasting and giving alms to the needy, 
are not things that we can do to earn favor with God. God is not going to love you any more if you give more this week than you gave last week. God isn't going to love you more if you pray for 10 hours a day or whether you pray just one minute a day. God will not love you more if you fast one time a year or one time a week. You can't earn God's favor by doing these religious acts. It's very important that we put that perspective around what we're talking about here today. Don't go out of here this morning and think that you're going to get better with God by praying more or that you're going to earn God's favor and love by fasting because God isn't going to love you anymore whether you do those things or whether you don't do those things. We can't earn God's grace or love by performing these religious activities or acts. But they are given to us for our spiritual well-being. Even though we can't purchase a place in heaven by doing them, God gives them to us because they are means of God's grace. By praying, we tap into God's power. And when you pray, you establish a connection with God's presence. And when we give, we're reminded of our own spiritual poverty. And when we fast, we lay ourselves vulnerable before God. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. These are means of God's grace. We don't earn God's favor by performing the spiritual disciplines, but they're given to us because they're conduits of his grace. They're a way that we connect with him and experience his presence and power in our lives. And so doing them for the right reason is very important, and that's why Jesus says what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 6. Let's read it again. He says, Beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Isn't it interesting how we can take something good like prayer or something that God, God gave us like giving generously to the poor, things that we need to be doing, and we can twist those things. We can pervert them, and we can start doing them for all the wrong reasons. And all of a sudden, we're praying because we want people to know how spiritual we are. Or we're giving to the needy because we want people to see how good we are. And we're, we're all of a sudden, we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And that's why Jesus says here, beware of practicing your righteousness before men that you may be seen by them. Because if you do that, you have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. God wants us to be authentic. And whenever we do the right things for the wrong reasons, then we can develop a kind of a false sense of righteousness. You know, we start feeling pretty good about ourselves. I mean, wow, you know, we start logging it. It's a little bit like when I I used to run regularly. You know, maybe one of the reasons God's allowed that not to be a part of my life anymore is because if I'm just really honest with you, sometimes I was just pretty proud of myself. I mean, man, I went out and ran, I ran 
11 miles today, not 10 miles. And they only ran six miles. And, you know, I used to keep this really rigorous, detailed. My wife laughs at me because I've got every mile counted for. I wrote it down. And I took great pride in that. And all of a sudden, you just start thinking you're better than you really are. You know, we're nothing but just a a, a mess of flesh, just a human body that God chooses to have it and use. And so we can get spiritually proud and, and, and just, you know, we pat ourselves on the back and, you know, you just start feeling kind of spiritually self-sufficient. You know, I mean, who needs God after all? And then we fall into this performance trap. We show up and we become involved in that religious activity or we do this religious discipline that we know we should be doing, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons because, well, we're performing. And we we do it because, well, what are they going to think? If I don't do that or if I don't show up. And you know what? God knows all the time what's going on in here and what our true motivations are. And so Jesus says, be very careful. Bring to mind, don't do your acts of righteousness to be seen by people. And yet this is an interesting Greek word in in verse 1. You know what this Greek word is? I can't pronounce it, but it's the word. It's in your notes. You can see it there on page 2. It's the word from which we get our English word for theatrical. And you know what actors in a theater do? They perform. They present. They put on, they pretend like they're really better than they are. And we do that by doing the right things for the wrong reasons in the spiritual realm. Now, some people think that Jesus is contradicting himself here. Look back up the page at verse 16. And there in verse 16 of chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds or your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So there Jesus is saying, let your light shine. Let them see your good works. And here he's saying, beware. Don't do acts of righteousness to be seen by men. And earlier he was saying, let people see it. So is Jesus contradicting himself here? Absolutely not. Look at verse 16 again in chapter 5. What's the focus there? The focus in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Matthew is the glory of the Father, not how good will people think you are. And so Jesus isn't contradicting himself at all. Read the fine print. Look at the verses carefully. Jesus is really saying something different different here. So what is the purpose of these practices? Let's talk about them very quickly here. Verses 2 through 4, giving to the poor. Why did Jesus, or God, better yet in the Old Testament, give us this principle of giving alms to the needy or the poor? You have your pen out, get ready to write. I'm going to give you something really profound here, okay? Ready? We're supposed to give to the poor because the poor are needy. Now, how profound is that? They're needy. 
And God has a heart for the poor. God has a heart for people who are hurting and who are needy. And you know a second reason God wants us to give to people who are needy? Because when we give to people who are need or needy, it reminds us that we are needy. And I've never really thought of giving in that way, but as I worked my way through this passage of Scripture again this week, it reminded me of a good reason to be giving regularly. When I put money in the offering plate on Sunday mornings, or whenever I give to missions or to a benevolence need like Compassion International, it reminds me that I'm in need, I'm a needy person myself, in need of God's grace in my life. And so there's a good reason for this spiritual discipline. And if you look at the top of page three in your notes this morning, you can see all kinds of verses that we've given you there from the Old Testament that show you that God has a special place in his heart for the poor and needy. And we see that over and over again in the Old Testament. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, Jesus said, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. And Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8 says, if there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, don't be, and this is the NIV version, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. How many times does the offering plate come by on Sunday morning and you're tight-fisted? You're hard-hearted. You know, God could take that money and he could use it as a great blessing for missions or in somebody's life. But how many, how many times do we come in here and we're just kind of, we're just tight-fisted? Nope, God's not getting any of it today. And we're hard-hearted. And, and we become so calloused. You know, we read the newspaper and you see it on Yahoo, the, 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 the cover page of the internet. We see all of these human needs and it's just easy to become calloused, calloused to the need of people around us. And so we don't give as generously as God wants us to give. In the first century AD, it's interesting, the poor box outside of the temple in Jerusalem was called the box of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? And I think that's where Jesus must get this image here in the Sermon on the Mount, acts of righteousness. That box outside of the temple door was called the box of righteousness because when you put money in it, it was an act of righteousness, but it was an indication of your rightness with God on the inside, the inside of your heart. That outward act, a demonstration of your right heart before God. And so we see a number of examples there on page three of your notes of, of the apostles in Acts 3 and Cornelius in Acts 10. If, if you read the description of Cornelius, he was a God-fearing man who gave alms to the poor, and he prayed regularly. That's how he's described in Acts 10 and Paul in Acts 24. And so the purpose of giving is not so people will see how righteous we are. Have you ever put your envelope in the offering plate on Sunday mornings and you were hoping somebody noticed? 
Yeah, we've all been guilty of that, haven't we? Because we're just sinful people and we end up doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And here Jesus is saying, do it, but do it with the right motivation. Don't blow your trumpet. Can you imagine the absurdity? Look at, the, look at verses 2 through 4 there. Can you imagine the absurdity? This, is, this didn't really happen. This is just a, an absurd example that Jesus uses here in verses 2 through 4. But can you imagine the absurdity? of putting your offering in the offering plate on Sunday morning or, or giving some money to, the, to a benevolence need and then having this parade of trumpeters going behind you to call attention to what you did. But in reality, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They wanted to be seen by men. Now, what about this second act of righteousness, praying to God? Why pray regularly to God. This was the second act of piety. And it's commanded, and it's commended in the Old Testament, and Jesus models it. In two weeks from today, we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. We're taking a break next week because it's Palm Sunday. But in two weeks, we're going to look at this prayer here in Matthew 6, and 11 times, it's interesting to me, 11 times in the Gospel of Luke, before Jesus gives his disciples the model prayer in in Luke, not Matthew, 11 times Jesus is off praying. So Jesus prayed regularly. But you know what? Jesus didn't pray to be seen by men. If you read the Gospel of Luke, he was always going off alone to pray. He didn't want to be seen. It was a private connection that he had between himself and his father. Now, in the Old Testament, it's fascinating to me. The Jewish people prayed at sunrise, and they prayed at 9 a.m., and they prayed at noon, and they prayed at 3 p.m., and then they prayed again at sunset. And if you read Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and Acts chapter 10, verse 2, and and you read the New Testament, they, they were doing this in the New Testament as well, they were praying at, at regular intervals during the day. And you remember Daniel in the Old Testament. You remember Daniel chapter 10? Uh, I believe it's verses 6 and 7, or maybe it's uh, verses 7 and 8. It's there in your note. Pardon me. I've got it wrong. It's verses 10 through 11. I, I guess I should read my own notes. Listen to what it says about Daniel. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went up to his home, went to his home upstairs with the windows open, and he prayed three times a day, morning, midday, and evening. That was the pattern for Jewish prayer in Daniel's lifetime and in the first century A.D. They prayed regularly. And obviously, Jesus isn't forbidding all public prayer because Daniel opened his windows to pray. But you know what? Daniel wasn't praying to men. He wasn't praying to be seen by men. Daniel was praying to God. And that's the right motivation for why we pray. 
One man has said, if we're honest, we must admit that much of our time is spent pretending. Why is it? Why is it that as Christians, we're, we're such great pretenders? And I got to confess, being a, being a pastor, is a, it, it's a dangerous vocation or profession because you know what the temptation, the great temptation, I think I've said this before, the great temptation in pastoral ministry is to pretend because you come through the church door and, oh, there's the pastor. You know what? The pastor is a human being like everybody else. I'm human just like you are. But people like to put pastors in a box, and they like to put them in a roll, and there's the pastor. And one of the diseases of pastoral ministry is that you start pretending, you start performing, and you have a bad day, but you pretend like it's a good day. And you're, you're really unhappy, and yes, pastors can become unhappy too, but you pretend like it's the greatest day on planet earth because that's what's expected of pastors. And you know what? We do the same thing as Christians. We present, we pretend, we perform because that's the way Christians are supposed to be, right? And we're afraid to let people see what is really going on in our lives. And so this man says, we must admit that much of our time is spent pretending. But when we turn to God in prayer... We must present our real selves. You don't fool God when you go to God in prayer because God knows exactly what's going on in your heart and life. He knows what kind of day it's been. You don't know what kind of day I've had so far, but God does. And I can't hide from God. And I can't pretend when I'm really in God's presence. And you know what authentic prayer is? Real prayer is just being honest with God, honest with God, pouring your heart out before God. Look at Psalm 34. We present our real selves candidly acknowledging our strengths and our weaknesses and our total dependence on him. Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies lies at the root of all personal godliness. And another man said about prayer, for the Christian, praying should be like breathing. Just as breathing is the response of physical life to the presence of air, so prayer should be the response of spiritual life to the presence of God. Is God here this morning? Yes, God is here this morning. Are you breathing this morning? Yes, you're breathing this morning. I'm breathing this morning. We wouldn't be here this morning if we weren't breathing. You don't have to be on your knees on Wednesday night. Yeah, it's a great thing to come here on Wednesday night. We'd love to have you on Wednesday night. But you know what? You can also pray with your small group on Sunday night. It doesn't necessarily have to be on Wednesday night. What God's interested in is that we're connecting with him on a regular basis, that we're praying, and, and, and that we're just, we're in connection with God. That it's not just a Sunday morning thing, but it's a way of life, our relationship with the Lord. 
remember the story of one guy, they, they were at a, a restaurant and this guy was a new Christian and, and he, he's embarrassed that somebody may see him praying at this restaurant. And so um, they're, this, they, they're debating who should pray and this guy says he'll pray. And so he, he, have you ever done this? He lowers his head and he starts to scratch his eyebrow and he, he, he thanks God for the food very quietly. And after he'd finished, this other brother who was sitting across from him said, well, that was an interesting prayer. Do you mind if I pray now? And he says, no, okay, go ahead and pray. So the guy gets up out of his chair and kneels down beside this table in the restaurant and lifts his hand in the air and prays very loudly, thanking God for the food. And the guy's just utterly embarrassed. Now, let me ask you the question. Was that guy right in what he did? Well, I don't know. I don't know if he was right or wrong in what he did because I don't know the motivations of his heart. But here's the deal. In that particular situation, that guy who got out of his chair and kneeled down before the table was trying to teach that younger believer a lesson. You know what he's trying to teach him? Fly your flag. Let people know that you're a Christian. Don't be embarrassed about it. So he may not have been pharisaical at all. I don't know what was going on in his heart. The important thing isn't our outward actions, whether we're scratching our eyebrow or where we're kneeling and have our hand in the air. It's not the outward action. It's our heart motivation that's important to God. And the same thing in the area of fasting. Look at verses 16 through 18. We'll wrap this up. Now, we don't talk much about this last one. But Jesus fasted, look at Matthew 4 and Luke 4. And in Luke 5, 35, he says that when I'm gone, when the bridegroom is gone, my people will fast. And so I think Jesus must expect us to fast occasionally. And in the Old Testament, we've got all kinds of examples. If you look at the top of page 5 in your notes today, and if you go home and study these, these verses we've, give, we've given you there at the top of that page, you've got all kinds of passages of Scripture where fasting in the Old Testament was a regular event. And so this is another very valid spiritual discipline, but what's the purpose of fasting? Well, you can pick up a good book like God's Chosen Fasts or the book by Whitney, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life or Richard Foster's book on the celebration of discipline, and they talk about fasting. Sometimes God wants us to fast to show that we're repentant. And it's not that we're earning our way back into God's favor. Remember what I said earlier. You don't earn your way back into God's favor by doing any of these things. But sometimes it's the right thing if we're grieving on the inside to grieve on the outside and to show God just how sorry we are by fasting. And maybe it's just fasting through lunchtime because we were, you know, we were just ugly with our wife yesterday or we've, we just haven't been living the way God, we know God wants us to live. And so as a matter of repentance, we just, we want to show God how sorry we are. And so our outside is connected with our inside and we, we demonstrate that through fasting. Sometimes we're called to fast in order to pray for healing. 
And I've given you some verses of scripture there, Matthew 17, verse 21, and Mark 9, 29. Sometimes believers in the New Testament fasted and prayed. If you look at Acts 13, 2 and Acts 14, 23, they fasted and prayed because they were earnestly seeking God's guidance. And so sometimes to just get in step with God, God's heart, to get in tune with him. God may tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, why don't you go without food or, or go without water here for a while and, and just in order to become more sensitive to, to, to me. John Piper says that Christian fasting at its root is the hunger of homesickness for God. And another person said, fasting makes me vulnerable and reminds me of my frailty. It reminds me to remember that if I'm not fed, I'll die. And standing before God hungry, suddenly I realize who I am and how weak I am and how much I need God. So that could be another reason for fasting. But just a word of warning here. Fasting more than any of these other disciplines can lead us down the slippery slope toward spiritual pride. And I've been there and done that. I remember as a student at Wheaton College, I think I shared with you a few weeks ago, we'd fast on Fridays. And man, I started thinking, oh boy, what a good boy am I, you know? Isn't God lucky to have me? You know, it's just easy to begin to think you're something. And you start doing the right things, maybe, for the wrong reasons. So be careful. Jesus says over and over again in verse 2, 5, and 16 of this passage, three times, don't be like the hypocrites. And you know what a hypocrite was? A hypocrite was an actor on stage, a pretender, somebody who wore a mask. A hypocrite is somebody who does good things for the wrong reasons. And so you get it all twisted around. Don't become that, Jesus says, because that's worse than anything. And so he gives us in closing two very simple principles. One is the principle of simplicity and the other is secrecy to keep us from pride in our, our, our Christian lives. And we're going to talk about those more in a couple of weeks when we get to the Lord's Prayer. But let me close with this story this morning. The story of an old missionary couple, and I think you've heard this story because it's a, it's a very familiar story. And I want to encourage you as we close here because there are some of you sitting here, you've been faithful and you've been doing the right things and you've been doing them for a long time and you wonder does anybody even know? Does anybody even see? See, and so there was this old missionary couple, and they were coming back from Africa, and it was back in the early, I think, 1900s, and so they weren't flying home. They're not flying back to Kosovo like the deals are going to do, and then flying back home. They were on a ship, and on the ship on this particular occasion was Teddy Roosevelt, who was then the president of the United States. And Teddy Roosevelt was coming back from Africa, too, on one of his big hunting trips. He used to like to go there for, to hunt. And so everybody's paying attention to T- 
Teddy Roosevelt. Nobody's paying attention to this missionary couple. And they start feeling sorry for themselves. And they get to this dock in New York City. And they get off the ship. And there's a band playing. And it's playing as Teddy Roosevelt comes down off the ship. And nobody notices the missionary couple. And they had no pension. They were defeated. And they were discouraged. They're all alone. And this man goes to God in prayer one night, and he has an honest conversation with the Lord, and he, he, and he, he, he was just broken. He thought, he thought it was so unfair, and he came out of the room, and his wife said, well, what did the Lord tell you? And he said, well, this is what the Lord said. As I was praying there and as I was just being honest with God, it was like the Lord tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, yeah, you're right. No reward yet. Nobody's noticed. But then it was like the Lord whispered in his ear and he said, but you know what? You're not home yet. You're not home yet. So I want to encourage you this morning as a church family, do the right things, but do them for the right reasons. Be faithful. And if you haven't gotten your reward, if you don't think anybody notices that anybody's ever seen, you wonder how it's all going to play out. Just remember, you will have your reward. Read Matthew 6. It's just, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. You'll get your reward from the Heavenly Father. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, may it be so in our lives. Help us to be real. Help us to be authentic. Lord, that doesn't mean that we go out and just parade our dirty laundry to everybody every time we have an ugly thought. That's not what that means. That's what we're not talking about. We're not talking about that, Lord. We know that you want us to be God-honoring. But Lord, help us to be willing to be honest, to be vulnerable, to be human. And Lord, help the inside to be connected to the outside. Help us to do the right things with the right motivation. In Jesus' name, we ask it. And we ask it for one reason, Lord, that we won't get attention, that we won't call attention to ourselves. But we ask it, Lord, that our Heavenly Father in heaven will receive all the glory because he's the one that's perfect. And he's chosen to use us, broken earthen vessels, Lord, now as we stand to sing this closing hymn, as Rick comes to to lead us in this hymn, help us to to just uh, worship you as we sing it. In your name we pray, amen.